You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be together in your house, to receive of the good word that you have given us through the power of the Spirit, inspiring its authors. We ask, O Lord, as we receive it, that you would quicken it in our hearts, use it to draw us ever closer to you in faith, and help us to love those around us as you love We ask this in your most precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So what what are some of the greatest gifts you've ever been given? What are some of the greatest gifts you've ever been given? If you're like me, when you hear a question like that, there's a couple that stand out in my mind. I think I've mentioned before with the children's sermons, the, uh, there, was a, there were a group of uh, toys called Micronauts back in the late 70s, early 80s. And for my birthday one year, I'd, I'd asked for something much too large uh, from their collection. It's like ordering the thousand-piece Lego set nowadays. And, um, and I got it for my birthday. And it was the greatest gift I'd ever gotten because it was the most unexpected thing. Um, and then for my 18th birthday party... All of my friends got together and threw me a surprise birthday party. And in addition to it being a surprise and completely fooling me, um, they arranged, they they went through my record collection. I was a big Led Zeppelin fan at the time. They went through my record collection and found every album I didn't have and made sure that by the end of my 18th birthday I had the entire collection. These great gifts that, that involve such thought and thoughtfulness on the part of the giver tend to be the kind of gifts we come up with. But the older I get, I've started to realize that some of the greatest gifts I've ever gotten were the things I didn't realize I was being given at the time. And sometimes the things that the giver didn't realize they were giving me. You know, that which we attain too easily, we esteem too lightly. And it's certainly like that with the gifts we receive. I'll give you a very, very simple example. Um, Y'all have met my wife. This will embarrass her at the second second, uh, service, but she's not here right now. Um, Y'all met my wife. My wife, of the two of us, is... I'm, I'm what they call a, like a B personality or a C personality, creative, right? My wife is the organized one. He's like this guy. I walk into this guy's tool shop and I'm like, he knows where everything is. This is amazing. That's my wife. That's why my wife has the PhD. <laughs> She's the follow-through person. Get everything on a list, follow it through, prioritize it, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, and that's beautiful. 
Well, when we first got together, it was a little bit of friction because we had different ways of doing things from our families of origin. And uh, one of the lessons I was taught very explicitly uh, in my family was, don't pay attention to your grades because your grades don't mean anything. What's important is that you learn from the class. Now, there's wisdom in that. There's wisdom in that. You can end up with a professor who hates you and you're going to get a low mark no matter what you do. And the question is, what did you learn? But my wife was taught a very different lesson in her family. And it was, your grades are how other people know what you know. And just that little difference in emphasis was a great gift to her. Changed her study habits completely so that when she and I started dating, we got together on, in finals week and then she spent a year abroad. So we spent a year letter writing. When she got back to campus, I discovered that if I wanted to spend time with my girlfriend, it meant spending time in my books. Which was kind of a new habit for me. It was a gift she'd been given just by growing up where she was and when she was. Most of us, or many of us in this room, grew up, and for us, the gold standard for journalism was Walter Cronkite. And I never realized what a gift it was to have a journalistic establishment whose goal was to be unbiased, even if they didn't always hit that goal, that that was their goal, as opposed to now where you have to pick your news source based on which bias you want. What we attain too easily, we esteem too lightly. And that is also true of our life as the church of Jesus Christ. We start now into the Lenten season. And I've had many of my evangelical brothers in our, in our little ministerium over there. We are the only liturgical church. <laughs> and they'll ask things like, why do you do Lent? And it's a good question. I mean, the Reformation threw out a lot of things or changed a lot of things. And indeed, our institutions are always in need of a shot in the arm of adrenaline and a little reworking because we become degenerate, we become a little sloppy, or we go through the motions without knowing what the motions mean. But I wanted to pause a little bit this morning and reflect on this season called Lent because it's deeply reflected in the readings of both this day and Wednesday past, right? on Ash Wednesday. See, I, I love the way that G.K. Chesterton described orthodoxy. And you go to our website, we talk about being an orthodox church, meaning right praise, right worship, right theology. We try to preach and teach what Christians have always preached and taught, because that is the precious inheritance we have. Those who came before us, those who came before us were Christians just like us, doing their best to do their best. And as they did, they grew in wisdom. They learned a few lessons, sometimes the hard way. And they encoded the lessons they learned into the practices of the church. And the way Chesterton described orthodoxy, he said, it is the most egalitarian, that's a big word today, it's the most egalitarian democracy you've ever experienced because it gives a vote to the most obscure of all classes. 
the dead. Those who just don't happen to be up and walking among us. But whose faith in life was the gift box in which they passed on the gospel to us. The gospel whereby we are saved. Now it's not the same thing as the gospel. But it was their best attempt to pass that precious word of life on to us in a way that would help us grasp it and appreciate it for what it is. And the church year, including Lent, is a big part of that. I always tell our new member classes that the cycle of readings we do, I'm not bound to it as a Lutheran pastor. I can break from it. Was it two or three summers ago? We broke from it for the whole season of green, and I only preached on the Sermon on the Mount week after week after week after week till we got through it. I can change it, but there's a good reason not to most of the time, and that is that the readings that are prescribed every Sunday are your insurance policy that the pastor doesn't get up and preach about what he likes to preach about every Sunday. That I don't go to my hot button issues and my favorite texts to preach on because if I stick with those readings over the course of three years, I will be forced to deal with all the most significant passages in the Bible and make an active choice as I pray Lord, what do you want our congregation to be focused on right now from your word? But the whole of his word is going to be in front of us. Except for some census data. Now that's, that's what we call the lectionary, the cycle of readings over the course of three years. The church year is the same way, but it, it functions over the 12-month cycle. Where for half the year, we focus on who Jesus is, and on the other half of the year, starting on Pentecost, or actually after Holy Trinity Sunday, we focus on what he taught. And those are the two most important things for us to know about who God is in Jesus Christ. And beautifully, the Lenten season brings those two things together. We have a 40-day fast. What are we doing? We're imitating Jesus. What's he doing as our reading commences today? He is fasting for 40 days. I don't know what you're fasting from. This is the easy week. We haven't really missed it that much. By week three, it gets really tough. By week five, you're a little bored and just trying to follow through on the commitment, maybe. But learning to fast, as I talked about Wednesday night, learning to say no to a rather rudimentary desire teaches us to say yes to something better and higher. And this is what Jesus was doing in his fast. When the tempter comes to him to encourage him to break his fast in a way that won't honor his Father in heaven. So we take 40 days in imitation of Jesus. And here's the reality. If you try to imitate Jesus seriously, you're going to discover something. If you try to keep a fast in a serious way, especially, I think about our Orthodox brethren this way all the time because I have some friends who are Orthodox. You know, for the whole season of Lent, they will give up all meat, all cheese, 
all oil, all alcohol, and they do it as a community. Man, that's tough. <laughs> you try to do that and reckon not just with your outward behavior, but your inward urges and the spirit of rebelliousness you will find welling up inside of you against this seemingly arbitrary rule. And you'll discover you're not all that different from Adam and Eve in our first reading. You'll discover the same spirit of rebelliousness in yourself, even as you try to imitate the Master, that reminds you of the other half of the equation. Which is that Jesus, Jesus is our great high priest interceding for us. He is the sacrifice whereby our sins are atoned. And so there's a dance back and forth between trying to live as Christ would have us live and throwing ourselves back on the grace that God has given us in forgiveness of our sins by the sacrifice of His Son whom we try to imitate. And in the Christian life, like a left foot and a right foot, we go back and forth. I try. I rely on His grace. I try. I rely on His grace. And everything we do, all of these beautiful traditions that were passed on to us by the faithful who came before us, when engaged in knowing what they mean, become that beautiful gift box that helps us remember the true gospel. That God gives us His rules because He loves us and provides His salvation because He loves us. That all is grace. That's why we follow the church lectionary. It's why we have a church here. It's even why we have the things we do in worship. There's a beautiful prayer after communion. I encourage you to listen for it next week. We get three options as pastors when we open the book, the prayer after communion. And the one I always use during Lent because it seems most appropriate is the one that begins, Heavenly Father, you gave your Son both as a sacrifice for sin and as a model of the godly knife. Enable us to receive him always with thanksgiving through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, St. Paul reminds us in the book of Romans the value of receiving you always with thanksgiving, always with Eucharist, always with joy in our hearts, because you are the means whereby we stand in the presence of our God. Jesus' grace covers us as the new and better Adam. His sacrifice brings life to us all, and his teachings. Teach us the way of life. As in this Lenten season, we struggle again for a deeper obedience. We remember that today is the day of salvation and we don't put off till tomorrow what we should and can do today. 
as we realize our weakness, throw us back upon His grace. Strengthen us and bless us with the word of forgiveness, with the courage to try again. Knowing that you who have begun a good work in us will complete it before that great and fateful day when we are judged. Grant us to trust evermore in him. We ask it in Jesus' name, for he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my life.